This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of patella fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Starting with a brief summary, patella fractures are traumatic knee injuries caused by direct trauma or rapid contracture of the quadriceps with a flexed knee that can lead to loss of the extensor mechanism. Diagnosis can be made clinically with the inability to perform a straight leg raise and confirmed with radiographs of the knee. Treatment is either immobilization or surgical fixation depending on fracture displacement and integrity of the extensor mechanism. In this episode, we will discuss the epidemiology, etiology, relevant anatomy, classification, clinical presentation, imaging findings, differential diagnosis, treatment options, treatment techniques, as well as the complications and prognosis from patella fractures. Starting with the epidemiology, patella fractures account for approximately 1% of all skeletal injuries, with 6 to 9% of these patella fractures being open. With regards to the demographics of patella fractures, there is a male predisposition with a male to female ratio of 2 to 1, and most fractures occur in 20 to 50 year olds. Regarding the etiology of patella fractures, the pathophysiology and mechanism of injury noted to be due to either a direct impact or an indirect eccentric contraction. A direct impact may be due to a fall, a dashboard injury, or other high-energy mechanism, which often causes a comminuted fracture pattern with chondral damage. The retinaculum may, however, remain intact. On the other hand, an indirect eccentric contraction mechanism occurs from rapid knee flexion against the contracted quadriceps muscle. This causes a failure in tension and often results in a transverse fracture or inferior pole avulsion fracture. A retinacular injury is typical in this situation. Patellar sleeve fractures are also possible from indirect eccentric contraction and are seen in the pediatric population, especially in those between 8 and 10 years old. A high index of suspicion is required to diagnose these patellar sleeve fractures. Some of the notable associated orthopedic conditions that occur with patellar fractures include femoral neck fractures, posterior wall acetabular fractures, and knee dislocations. Moving on to review some relevant anatomy, we will review the relevant osteology, ligaments, tendons, the blood supply, and biomechanics of the patella. Beginning with the osteology, remember that the patella is the largest sesamoid bone in the body. The superior three-fourths of the posterior surface of the patella is covered by articular cartilage. The articular cartilage is the thickest in the body, up to one centimeter in thickness. The inferior quarter of the patella, however, is devoid of cartilage. The posterior articular surface is comprised of two large facets, the medial and lateral facets. The lateral facet is larger, and each facet is separated into smaller facets and divided by the vertical ridge. Notably, a bipartite patella is variably present. Usually this is located superolateral and occurs in approximately 2-3% to of the population. The most important ligament to remember regarding the patella is the medial patellofemoral ligament or MPFL. The origin of the MPFL is between the medial epicondyle and the adductor tubercle on the femur. This attaches approximately to the upper two-thirds of the medial patella and acts as a primary ligamentous restraint to lateral patellar translation. The MPFL is most effective from 0 to 30 degrees of flexion before the patella engages the trochlear groove. The relevant tendons to review include the quadriceps tendon, patellar tendon, and the retinaculum. The quadriceps tendon and the fascia lata attach to the anterosuperior margin of the patella. The quadriceps tendon is comprised of three layers, the superficial layer, 
which is formed from the rectus femoris tendon, the middle layer, which is formed by the vastus medialis and vastus lateralis tendons, and the deep layer, which is formed by the vastus intermedius tendon. The patellar tendon attaches to the inferior pole of the patella, and the retinaculum is formed by the fascia lata, vastus medialis, and vastus lateralis, and this contributes to the strength of the extensor mechanism and should be repaired at the time of patellar fixation. The blood supply of the patella derives from the anastomotic ring originating from the geniculate arteries. This lies anterior to the quadriceps tendon and posterior to the patellar tendon. And notably, the most important blood supply to the patella is located at the inferior pole. Regarding patellar biomechanics, the patella increases the power and mechanical advantage of the extensor mechanism by 30 to 50 percent by displacing it anteriorly away from the center of rotation. During knee flexion, the patella experiences tension from the quadriceps and patellar tendon and compressive loads across the posterior patella. Next, we will discuss classification of patella fractures, which is descriptive and based on fracture patterns. These fracture patterns include non-displaced fractures, displaced fractures, which is defined as a step-off of greater than 2 or 3 millimeters, or a fracture gap of greater than 1 to 4 millimeters, transverse fractures, pole or sleeve, which can be upper or lower pole or sleeve fractures, vertical fractures, marginal fractures, osteochondral fractures, or comminuted, otherwise known as stellate fractures of the patella. The AOOTA classification may also be utilized, with the patella being bone 34, and therefore a 34A fracture would be an extra-articular fracture of the patella, 34B would be a partial articular fracture, and a 34C would be a complete articular fracture of the patella. On clinical presentation, patients present with a history of a direct blow to the knee or an extensor mechanism injury. On physical exam, inspection of the patient reveals a palpable patellar defect with a significant hemarthrosis and may include lacerations or abrasions in the setting of an open fracture. Evaluation of motion should be performed, noting that the inability to perform a straight leg raise indicates that the extensor mechanism and retinaculum is disrupted. In order to perform the straight leg raise, one can aspirate the hemarthrosis and inject local anesthetic if the patient is unable to perform this test due to pain. Concomitantly, a saline load test can be performed to rule out knee joint involvement. Regarding imaging findings, radiographs and CT may be useful with MRI rarely being indicated. Radiographs are recommended with AP, lateral, and an axial, otherwise known as sunrise or merchant view, of the patella. The lateral is the best view to see a transverse fracture of the patella and is obtained with the knee in 30 degrees of flexion if possible. This helps to evaluate any articular step-off. The axial, otherwise known as the sunrise or merchant views, is the best view to see a vertical fracture of the patella. Radiographs should be evaluated to note fracture displacement, patella alta, or patella baja. Fracture displacement should be noted as the degree of fracture displacement correlates with the degree of retinacular disruption. Patella alta is indicated by an incel salvati ratio of greater than 1.0 and indicates disruption of the patellar tendon, while patella baja is the opposite with an incel salvati ratio less than 1.0 and indicates disruption of the quadriceps tendon. Radiographic criteria may dictate treatment with an articular step-off of greater than 2 to 3 millimeters and a displaced fracture gap greater than 3 millimeters, dictating operative management. A CT scan may be indicated for suspected distal pole comminution, 
patellar stress fractures, non-unions, or malunions. The sagittal view is particularly useful for visualizing distal pole comminution. Importantly, CT scan findings may change operative plans in approximately 50% of cases. This is due to an improved understanding of the fracture patterns being particularly true in distal pole fracture patterns that are unappreciated on plane radiographs. The differential diagnosis of a patellar fracture should also include a bipartite patella, which may be mistaken for patellar fractures. However, a bipartite patella would be smooth and have regular borders on radiographs. Bipartite patella affects 2-3% of the population and is caused by the failure to unite a secondary ossific nucleus to the patella. It is characteristically supralateral in position and occurs bilaterally in 50% of cases. Regarding the treatment for patella fractures, we will discuss non-operative and operative treatment. Non-operative treatment with the knee immobilized in extension using a knee immobilizer, hinge knee brace, or cast with full weight bearing is indicated in patients with an intact extensor mechanism with the patient being able to perform a straight leg raise. As well as in non-displaced or minimally displaced fractures, vertical fracture patterns, and in patients with significant medical comorbidities. Non-operative treatment modalities should include early active range of motion with a hinge knee brace. Early weight bearing is tolerated in full extension with active and active assisted range of motion at one to two weeks followed by resistance exercises beginning at six weeks. Outcomes of non-operative treatment with early active range of motion shows good or excellent results in greater than 95% of patients with the proper indications. Operative treatment options include open reduction internal fixation or partial or total patellectomy with or without tendon advancement. Operative intervention with open reduction internal fixation is indicated to preserve the patella whenever possible. ORIF is indicated for patients with extensor mechanism failure who are unable to perform a straight leg raise, as well as for open fractures and fractures with an articular step-off of greater than 2 to 3 millimeters, a displaced articular patella gap greater than 3 millimeters, loose bodies, osteochondral fractures, and in patella sleeve fractures in children. The techniques for open reduction internal fixation of the patella are multiple and include tension band constructs, plate and screw constructs, as well as cerclage wiring. Tension band constructs may be constructed using K-wires and wires, K-wires and sutures, cannulated screws and wires, or cannulated screws and sutures. Plate and screw constructs may be created using mini fragment plates, mesh plates, and plate and screw fixation may be preferred over tension bands in cases of significant articular-sided comminution. Cerclage wiring may also be utilized, alone, or as a supplement to primary fixation. Outcomes of ORIF are good, with high rates of union greater than 95% despite the technique. Rates of non-union are higher, however, with open fractures, and symptomatic hardware requiring removal is common. The recommended post-operative protocol following open reduction internal fixation is weight-bearing as tolerated in a hinged knee brace with flexion limited to 30 degrees for four weeks and then progressed incrementally thereafter. A partial patellectomy with or without tendon advancement is indicated for comminuted extraarticular inferior pole fractures measuring less than 40% of the patellar height. This should only be performed if open reduction internal fixation is not possible. This technique should be performed removing the least amount of bone possible 
and the patellar tendon should be advanced into the defect on the anterior surface of the patella. Outcomes of partial patellectomy show decreased strength of the extensor mechanism to an increasing degree based on the size of the fracture fragment removed. Total patellectomy with or without tendon advancement is rarely indicated and should only be used for a severe extensive comminution not amenable to salvage. Total patellectomy may also be indicated for infection or tumor. In this technique, there is total removal of the patella with imbrication of the quadriceps and patella tendons. Advancement of the vastus and retinaculum is also performed. Outcomes of total patellectomy are poor, with a decrease in extensor mechanism strength noted to be greater than 50%. We will now move on to discuss some of the treatment techniques for these options discussed. Regarding open reduction internal fixation, this may be approached through a midline longitudinal incision centered over the patella, with the articular surface being able to be exposed either through the fracture site or through retinacular rents. This can alternatively be performed through a lateral parapatellar arthrotomy and inversion of the patella if the retinaculum is not damaged or if better visualization of the articular surface is desired. When performing ORIF of the patella, Avoid extensive soft tissue dissection to preserve the blood supply and viability of skin flaps. As much of the patella should be retained as possible, though any devitalized fragments and loose bodies should be removed. Here we will provide some further details on the techniques for tension band constructs, plate and screw constructs, and cerclage wiring. With respect to a tension band construct, this construct converts tensile forces generated by the quadriceps complex at the anterior surface into compressive forces at the articular surface. The tension band is created using a 0.062K wire and can be performed in combination with an 18-gauge stainless steel wire or in combination with suture. The 18-gauge stainless steel wire is noted to be difficult to manipulate and has a high rate of reoperation due to painful hardware or wire migration. When K-wires are used in combination with suture, the suture has 75% of the tensile strength compared to 18-gauge stainless steel wire, but performs similarly clinically and has lower rates of hardware removal when suture is used. A tension band construct may also be created using longitudinal 4.0mm cannulated screws, which are biomechanically stronger than K-wires. With regards to the technique for plate and screw constructs, these are biomechanically superior to a tension band construct. Multiple plate options are available, with mini-fragment plates and mesh plates being the most common. Mini-fragment plates are useful in simple comminuted fractures and are helpful in osteoporotic bone, while mesh plates are versatile with multi-planar screw options available and are effective in stabilizing distal pole fractures with comminution. With mesh plates, there is less fracture gapping compared to with tension band wiring. Lastly, with respect to ORIF, Cerclage wiring may be used alone or to augment additional fixations such as interfragmentary lag screws or tension band constructs, and is useful in comminuted fractures. Some of the particular complications of open reduction internal fixation include painful hardware and anterior knee pain, or hardware failure. With respect to painful hardware and anterior knee pain, it is important to place a tension wire at the superior aspect of the construct where more soft tissue coverage is available. If performing a tension band construct, then one should consider using a braided suture as opposed to 18-gauge stainless steel wires, and it should be noted that plates have a lower rate of hardware irritation compared to tension banding. With respect to hardware failure in tension band constructs, 
This hardware failure can be prevented with the wires being tensioned in two places to apply equivalent tension on both sides of the construct. Over-tensioning the wire should be avoided to prevent articular gapping or wire failure. One should also avoid having prominent cannulated screw tips that can cause wire failure. Moving on to discuss the techniques for partial patellectomy with or without tendon advancement, the approach is the same as ORIF. Again, in this technique, as much of the patella should be retained as possible, though you must remove devitalized fragments and loose bodies. The quadriceps or patellar tendon should be reattached, which may be performed with transosseous tunnels or suture anchors with the knee in hyperextension. The quadriceps or patellar tendon should be reattached as close as possible to the articular surface, which prevents patellar tilt and minimizes contact stresses. Any retinacular repair should be performed, and if necessary, reinforce the repair with surclause sutures or wires from the quadriceps tendon to the tibial tubercle. Partial patellectomy may be complicated by weakness and extensor lag. With respect to total patellectomy with or without tendon advancement, again, the approach is the same as for ORIF and partial patellectomy, and the technique for this procedure involves removing all bony patellar fragments and loose bodies, restoring the integrity of the extensor mechanism via imbrication of the quadriceps and patellar tendons, medial and lateral retinacular repair which remain essential, and consideration for advancing the vastus medialis obliquus has been found to give better strength and outcomes. Total patellectomy is also complicated by weakness and extensor lag, which may be avoided by performing sufficient imbrication. Lastly, we will review the complications and prognosis of patellar fractures. Some of the general complications of patella fractures and its treatment include anterior knee pain, symptomatic hardware, weakness, loss of reduction, non-union, osteonecrosis, infection, stiffness, and post-traumatic patellofemoral arthritis. With respect to anterior knee pain, the major risk factor for this is open reduction internal fixation, and the treatment is hardware removal after union. With regards to symptomatic hardware, this is the most common complication with an incidence of up to 50%. The risk factors for symptomatic hardware include a thin body habitus, tension band construct using K-wires, or open fractures, which is thought to be due to a compromised soft tissue envelope, and the treatment is hardware removal after union. With regards to weakness, the major risk factors for developing weakness include a partial or total patellectomy or insufficient retinacular repair. The treatment for this weakness is physical therapy, though improvement may be limited based on the procedure performed. With regards to loss of reduction, there is a 0 to 22% incident rate, although cases of catastrophic hardware failure is rare. The major risk factors for loss of reduction include increasing age and osteoporotic bone. And the treatment may require revision open reduction internal fixation, but if the degree of reduction loss is small, it may not affect union rates. Non-union has an incidence of less than 1 to 5%, and the major risk factor for non-union is open fracture. Treatment of non-union is typically well tolerated, though revision ORIF with bone grafting may be indicated, and one can also consider performing a partial patellectomy. The incidence of osteonecrosis is up to 25%, though it is usually asymptomatic. Risk factors for osteonecrosis include proximal pole fractures, which is thought to be due to excessive initial fracture displacement. Treatment of osteonecrosis is typically conservative and can be observed as most spontaneously revascularized by two years. Regarding infections, 
the incidence of infection is between 0 and 5%. Risk factors for infection include open fracture with a rate of 10 to 11%. The treatment for infection may require irrigation and debridement with possible hardware removal. With respect to stiffness, the major risk factors include longer periods of immobilization, open fractures or soft tissue injuries, and concomitant lower extremity injuries. The treatment of stiffness is usually with aggressive physical therapy after fracture union with which stiffness usually resolves. The last complication we'll discuss is post-traumatic patellofemoral arthritis, which has an incidence of up to 50%. The major risk factors for post-traumatic patellofemoral arthritis include the degree of traumatic mechanism and articular malreduction. Treatment of post-traumatic patellofemoral OA is with symptomatic management or total knee arthroplasty. Regarding the prognosis of patellar fractures, most patellar fractures heal uneventfully, with an osteonecrosis rate reported to occur in up to 25%, but has not been found to affect clinical outcomes. Some of the poor prognostic variables include fractures with significant comminution, which should be treated with partial or total patellectomy, open fractures, or a history of smoking. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. A 46-year-old male sustains a patella fracture and is treated with cannulated screws and a tension band construct. Which of the following is correct regarding this treatment? 1. Knee flexion arc is restored to the contralateral side. 2. Extensor lag is recovered by 15 months postoperatively. 3. Implant removal rate can be as high as 50% or more. 4. Quadriceps strength is not limited at long-term follow-up. Or 5. Patients with retained implants have pain scores equivalent to healthy norms. The correct answer is 3. Implant removal rate can be as high as 50% or more. Fixation of patella fractures with tension band constructs leads to a need to remove implants in over 50% of cases, as seen in multiple studies. Tension band constructs result in absolute stability when performed correctly. This technique works by converting tension from muscle pull into compressive forces on the articular side of the fracture. Tension band constructs require a fracture pattern or bone that is able to withstand compression. An initial cortical buttress opposite to the tension band and fixation that withstands tensile forces. LeBrun et al. and Associates evaluated functional outcomes of surgically isolated patella fractures. They reported that 52% of patients underwent surgery for hardware removal and 38% of patients who retained their hardware reported pain at some time. They also found that nearly 20% had an extensor lag and almost 38% had restricted flexion. Extension power on testing showed significant mean deficits when compared to the contralateral side. Bayer et al. evaluated 20 patients with patella fractures and found that articular incongruity of greater than 1 mm was the largest risk factor for quadriceps weakness at a mean of 30 months postoperatively. No significant differences were seen with sex, fracture pattern, or time from injury to surgery. Reviewing the incorrect answers, answer 1 is incorrect as knee flexion arc is generally more limited than the contralateral side. Answer 2 is incorrect as an extensor lag can be permanent with this treatment method. Answer 4 is incorrect 
as quadriceps weakness is common after tension band fixation of patella fractures. And answer 5 is incorrect, as patients generally have poorer outcomes after patella tension band fixation, regardless of implant maintenance or removal. Next question. The dominant arterial blood supply to the patella enters at which anatomical location? 1. Proximal pole. 2. Midlateral. 3. Midmedial. 4. Directly anterior. Or 5. Distal pole. The correct answer is 5. The distal pole. The largest arterial contribution to the patella will enter at the distal or inferior pole of the patella, with the dominant artery entering inferomediately. The artery blood supply to the patella is made up of branches of six main arteries, the descending genicular, the superior medial and lateral genicular, the inferior medial and lateral genicular, and the anterior genicular. Several of these branches contribute to the anastomotic network that surround the patella. From the ring, there are two main interosseous blood supply systems to enter the patella, known as the mid-patellar and the polar vessel systems. The distal pole of the patella is considered to be the largest arterial contribution to the peripatellar ring and the polar vessel system. Lazaro et al. used 20 matched pairs of fresh frozen cadaveric knees to isolate the dominant blood supply to the patella. After cannulating the superficial femoral artery, anterior tibialis artery, and posterior tibialis artery, they performed MRI imaging and found that the largest arterial contribution to the patella entered at the inferior pole in 100% of the specimens. In 16 specimens, or 80%, the dominant artery entered the medial aspect of the distal pole. In 3 specimens, or 15%, it entered the lateral aspect of the distal pole. Last question. Postoperative radiographs of a 54-year-old female who sustained a comminuted patellar fracture that was treated with tension band repair construct fixation shows that the articular surface is well reduced postoperatively. In the first six months after this procedure, what is the most likely factor for functional impairment in this patient? Is it 1. Osteonecrosis 2. Anterior knee pain 3. Refracture 4. Hardware failure or 5. Non-union The correct answer is 2. Anterior knee pain. A residual deficit in muscle performance and anterior knee pain are expected in the majority of patients at 6 months after surgical fixation of their patella fractures. Anterior knee pain is reported to be a common symptom following treatment of patella fractures. A likely contributing factor to anterior knee pain is scarring and tightness from the structures surrounding the knee as well as patella maltracking due to quadriceps and hamstring weakness or poor muscle synchrony. Other factors for anterior knee pain include symptomatic hardware which may be treated with removal of fixation after union has been achieved. Lazaro et al. looked at the outcome data on 30 patients with isolated unilateral patellar fractures. Anterior knee pain during activities of daily living was experienced by 24 or 80% of the patients. The knee extensor mechanism on the injured side had deficits of strength of minus 41%, power of minus 47%, and of endurance of minus 34% as compared to the uninjured side. Lebrun et al. reviewed a series of 40 operatively treated patella fractures and found that at over 6 years postoperatively, 
significant symptomatic complaints and functional deficits persisted based on validated outcome measures as well as objective physical evaluations. Removal of symptomatic fixation was required in 52% of the patients treated with osteosynthesis, whereas 38% of those with retained fixation self-reported implant-related pain at least some of the time. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 1, osteonecrosis is incorrect, as osteonecrosis of the patella is rare, occurring in less than 5% of patella fractures. It most commonly occurs in the inferior pole of the patella. Answer 3 is incorrect, as a refracture is rare after osteosynthesis with retained hardware. Answer 4 is incorrect, as hardware failure is more common with poor surgical technique, and short-term reported data shows prominent and symptomatic implants as a result of breakage to occur in less than 50% of patients. And answer 5 is incorrect, as non-union is rare in minimally displaced patella fractures. That is all for this review about patella fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.